So, what I would like to say is the opening statement from last week very much applies to this week too, which was Paul saying, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. So it's almost emphasising that whatever's coming next is of huge significance. And it's not something that Paul, not that he ever kind of had a whim, but it's not something that just he felt you know, um, he should share with them. This was a fundamental part of his uh, doctrinal teaching that he was given to the Ephesians. And it's really where the rubber hits the road. This is where the theory becomes practice. And he's saying this is of utmost importance and I'm insisting on it. Um, so it's really with that emphasis of the uh, importance of the message that we um, continue with what we, were, what we started last week. I would also revisit the overall context of Paul's teaching. And we were celebrating how Ephesians is, is a very high-density book in terms of doctrine. So there's lots of um, very fundamental truth given in a lot of detail. And it makes it very difficult to provide a summary. But if I was to say that one of the core teachings that we get from Ephesians is Paul's teaching about the church, the body of Christ... And he goes in to talk about spiritual gifts in that context. He's writing his letter to saints in the Church of God in Ephesus. And while he's teaching these broader truths about the church, the body, there is a very clear application in the local context of the Church of God in Ephesus that actually you should be a little um, model of the church, the body, in the, the way you function with the gifts that you have, how they are given to you by God and you're there to exercise them, they're complementary to each other and they enable the church of God in Ephesus to function in the way that God intended. So there's these rich truths going on and in the second half of chapter 4 and the first half of chapter 5, which is where we're going to go today, it's very much about how what we've learned lives out, is lived out in practice by us as individuals and us as a collective uh, people called together in a church of God. So let's read Ephesians 5 verse 1 to 21 together. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, 
but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we are um, very much flowing on from um, putting off the old, putting on the new, and walk this way, I'd like just to read last week's key messages, and we have four key messages for this week, but just to kind of give you a sense of the continuity. Last week we were saying in Christ we are a new creation, we have a new self which is created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Sadly, our old self remains and is the source of ongoing sin. And our two selves battle for predominance. Which one wins is a measure of our love for the Lord Jesus and is reflected in how we treat each other. Second key message, we can only wear one self at a time. Putting off the old and putting on the new is a daily exercise we have to learn how to do it. And number three, the Holy Spirit is a person who feels. He can be delighted and offended. Putting on the new delights the Holy Spirit because only when we have put off the old and put on the new can he be effective. <coughs> so we explored each of those in some depth last week. And part, I would say, of putting on the new is walking this way, which is what we will see. Again, um, seems to work better this way if we have our, our key messages up front, um, which I'll just read, and then we'll explore them in a little bit more detail. Um, I have four key messages, and then I have um, half a dozen or so sound bites, and it's one of those things, It's again, I'll mention it, Ephesians <coughs> is very high density in terms of... Um, it's truth and lessons and doctrine. And um, when I pulled out these four key messages, which we haven't really got time to do any more than that, there was still some left over. So I'm going to kind of list the other half dozen sound bites because they're great for us to think about. But we'll come back to that at the end. So here's number one. Putting off the old and putting on the new means we walk differently making it our goal as children of God to imitate him. And we have these three expressions, one left over from chapter 4, verse 18, living the life of God, this is what the walk looks like, living the life of God, walking in the way of love, and living as children of light. That's um, 
key message number one. Number two, the Lord Jesus sets the benchmark for living the life of God, walking the way of love and living as a child of light. And we see in his life self-sacrificial commitment, which is described as a fragrant offering to God. In the same way, holy individuals serving together in a church of God community are a fragrant offering to God, delighting him. Lesson or message number two. Number three, exemplary standards are expected of God's holy people. This requires a no compromise approach to slipping standards of behavior in our own lives, matched by the overseers in the way they govern the church. Our approach to life should be careful, wise, diligent, and in touch with God's will. You can see there's a, a lot of uh, content in the, um, in the passage that we have. But finally, the fourth message that appeared to me is the solution to all of this is to give the Holy Spirit full access to every part of our lives, putting off the old, putting on the new, and walking this way. So let's go to our first key message. Putting off the old, putting on the new means that we walk differently, making it our goal as children uh, of God to imitate him. We have um, that very well-trodden path in Genesis, I think it's Genesis 32, where Jacob wrestles with God and um, God touches his thigh and he never walks the same again. I think that's a, a real fundamental principle. Last week we were describing that the stuff we're contending with here, it's about our behaviour and it's about the behaviour that is characteristic of a mature disciple. And um, you can imagine Jacob, um, a mature, holy man, but it took this personal encounter with God um, and it was a wrestle, wrestling match. It wasn't a... You know, sitting down and uh, chewing over some verses and maybe having a prayer and he changed his life. Uh, he never was the same again. It's actually uh, much more um, involved than that. And I would say that when we uh, use the expression walk this way and we take off the old, we put on the new and we walk differently. Um, What's more involved is about doing that, but in the context of our own daily lives. Many of us um, are really feeling for the horns at the moment, Kath and Dave and their family. Um, you know, it's easy for us to say when we're separate from it that uh, the only way to deal with uh, difficulties like that is to try and look for what we can learn from them. That sounds so theoretical um, but it's true that if life was a breeze then we'd never have the opportunity to learn and perhaps the only way we can um, come to terms with what life throws out at us is to accept in faith that it's in accordance with God's plan for us and God wants us to learn positive things from each life experience and it's only like Jacob wrestling with God it's only when we wrestle 
with the things that life throws at us um, and we wrestle with God through it that we um, cling to him which is um, the way that wrestling match ended and then it was actually Jacob clinging to God um, and then our lives are never the same again and I'm sure we can all think of examples of people who we regard very highly um, Christian people who have really been through the mill um, in their life experiences and what seems to emerge is someone who whose faith is stronger and whose love for God despite what they've been through is stronger that's the kind of thing that we're talking about uh, when we say walk this way it's not a, a path that leads us through an easy life it's a uh, about a way of coping with the life that God has laid out for us. Uh, of course, the past we can reflect on and learn from and celebrate. The future we don't know and we have to step by faith. But these three expressions, um, the first from the previous chapter in, in verse 18, live the life of God. I mentioned this last week. Um, the way I think of it is it's living the life God intended me to live. And it's a, a really positive thing to think about that God does have a plan for my life and he's created me he's given me the gifts and the talents that we learn about in uh, earlier on in Ephesians and and um, other epistles of Paul as well um, and it's me to be the very best version of myself in the context that uh, God has put me in that's living the life of God and the way I summarise it here is to describe it as contentment. Um, it's living the life God intended. The, the verses the, or the words that accompany that expression in chapter 4 verse 18 um, label it as righteousness and holiness. So clearly as, God's rede as a redeemed person, as God's redeemed people, the expectation is that we will live the life he intended and that's characterised by righteousness and holiness. Clearly knowing his will is a, a key part of it. Um, I think the knowing his will links with contentment. Um, I try to limit my references to Burma, um, but you really do see people who are following the Lord the way they're convicted they should. And there is a contentment that is independent of the personal circumstances, whether that's difficulties or poverty. And there's that contentment. And of course, we um, can only know his will by having a daily relationship with him. So for me, that's the, the first part of walking this way. It's living the life of God and in a mature disciple it's characterized by contentment surely there is no better means of being content than having the conviction that we're doing what god intended us to do i think that has to be our aspiration and for many of us it takes a whole lifetime to you know a lifetime of discovery to see what god wants us to be doing and to get on board with it perhaps some People seem to get to that early on in life. Um, some people not until later in life. But let's face it, it's a journey, not a destination. 
So whatever stage we're at, um, we still have the opportunity today and in the future to, through our relationship with God, through his word, to understand his will for us and to get on with it and enjoy the contentment that that brings. So living the life of God is about our commitment to him, our relationship with him, and the contentment that we can know, regardless of uh, difficult circumstances, that we are living the life he, he intended and doing the things that he's prepared for us to do. Second is walking in the way of love. And I see that as more about relationships. Love, in this context, the word is agape, and it's, um, it's about the relationships that we have with each other. It's best seen, um, walking in the way of love is best seen in the way we interact with each other in the church. Again, coming back to the context of our study, it's about the things that characterise the church, the body of Christ, being um, lived out in the church of God in Ephesus, in the here and now, in day-to-day -day experience. It's the hallmark of a true disciple. The Lord Jesus said, um, men will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for each other. Um, it's a real challenge to examine ourselves and reflect on what we think about each other and how we interact with each other. And it's a whole topic in, it, in its own right, but of course it's again expressed best in our understanding and meditation on the life of the Lord. And I would say that perhaps one of the key characteristics of love uh, in a community or from one person to another is being interested. Taking the time to be interested in someone else's situation and um, again, it needs to be accompanied by wisdom which we'll come to it, uh, later on. But being prepared <coughs> to somehow be, be involved and that's not being nosy or you know involved in an unwelcome kind of way but loving each other is being interested in each other being concerned for each other and bearing one another's burdens uh, as it says in another place I wonder whether as individuals our reputation is there's a person who has a loving character uh, in his thanksgiving, John was talking about that wonderful Bible expression that we don't use anywhere else called loving kindness. And it's, um, it's just about the expression of love in action. I wonder, is my reputation someone who clearly has the love of Christ in his relationships with other people? Is that the way um, your life and your demeanour and your relationship with other people would be characterised. And you know, this is about individuals, but it's also about what happens when individuals who are doing the right thing serve together as a community. And when people walk through the door, what do they see? Do they see a community of people who have a special bond and love going on? I think there are many testimonies, I've said this before, where that is exactly how Manchester Assembly is seen from the outside. Perhaps it's not seen 
always and in every set of circumstances in that way. But I, I do hear that when people come in, and there's evidence of this by people who've been drawn in and end up in fellowship with us, is it's not really about understanding doctrine. It's not about understanding what we stand for. That's all important. But the starting point was here is a group of people that have got uh, a love about them, <coughs> a love for each other. And the final point there was a love for the lost. It's how we think and pray and interact with um, people who don't know the Lord that is a real test of whether we're living, w walking in the way of love. It's interesting that in the life of the Lord there does seem to be um, a priority. I'm kind of nervous about saying this because it kind of is a bit counterintuitive. You'd think that, you know, he loved everybody all the same way, all at the same time. But you have his um, almost preferential treatment going on with Peter, James and John. He, they seem to be privileged. Um, you have John sitting next to him in the upper room. Um, I don't know whether that was by invitation or whether John just kind of snuggled up, literally. Um, you get the broader disciple community um, and then you get everyone else. And it does seem that the Lord had um, a special place but a different place for these different categories of people that he interacted with. I wonder um, how our love is expressed. You know, who do we enjoy spending most time with? Um, and uh, are we exclusive? I'm not saying that the Lord was, we shouldn't be, but um, we should be expressing our love in different ways, in appropriate ways for people that we interact with. And then living as children of light. Um, light is something that illuminates um, and in the process, illumination exposes what you couldn't see before and also provides direction. And again, this is another component to walking this way. If we're living in a way that uh, is in accordance with God's plan for us, then there's a, a righteousness and a holiness about us. Um, obviously that's imputed to us through the Lord Jesus, but it's also lived out in our daily um, practical behaviour and commitment. And that in itself becomes a light around us. We live in a very dark world. Uh, we were talking about that last week. And here is an opportunity for mature disciples of the Lord Jesus to take on his likeness and in so doing demonstrate what holy living looks like. Uh, there is a sense in, the, in which it exposes darkness and the things that aren't right and also provides direction and examples to other people. So um, for me... That's the, the first point in our uh, subject today. Putting off the old, putting on the new, and walking this way, which is characterized by those different examples. Second letter, the uh, second um, lesson is the Lord Jesus sets the benchmark for living the life of God, walking the way of love, and living as children of light. And 
it could be summarized by self-sacrificial commitment and it's described as a, a fragrant offering to God. The Lord Jesus, I've said, sets the benchmark. His life, his relationship with God, his relationship with people um, and the light, the illumination that he provided is, of course, the ultimate standard. I'd love to pursue a study with these points. I've kind of often thought about it because there is, there's hooks in the New Testament that seem to me to hang together, but I haven't really um, kind of committed to the study, but I'll share it with you. Um, the Lord Jesus sets the standard in lots of, well, every area, but he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's in, uh, I think it's in John 14, certainly upper room. Um, and think about it. Uh, the standard with which the Father loves the Son is the standard with which the, the Son loves his disciples. Um, as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. He was sent with all authority. Um, so there was a confidence about him. Um, and he spoke with authority. And the one who has all authority is sending us out in the same context as, or with the same, if you like, credibility and integrity and authority as his father sent him, setting the standard of, um, of the commission. Interesting one, this comes from Luke 22. I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. There's a, a comparison about the function of the that the disciples would have in the kingdom of God. And again, it's a, it's a statement about authority and responsibility, opportunity, privilege um, in relation to God's kingdom. Um, John 17, that they may be one as we are one. The Lord Jesus had a real passion for the unity of the disciples, for the unity of people in churches of God. And the unity he had with his father set the benchmark. So um, I just wanted to kind of share those thoughts with you. There are lots of examples and different ways in which the Lord's life and his relationship with people and with his father and his commitment to his father's will, they all set the benchmark for our behavior, which is why um, we have such a tremendous narrative about his life when he lived. I think the gospels are there so we can pick up these things and uh, see them being worked out. The, his, um, his life is described as a fragrant offering to God. Uh, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing. I think um, we can often get consumed by... Um, just kind of the earthly orientation. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that we're in the here and now, we're talking about our relationship with each other and the difficulties that, that we might have there or the joy that we might have there. But let's uh, not overlook what perspective God has when he sees these people like us who he's chosen and he's called and he's endowed with spiritual gifts and he's 
um, given us the Holy Spirit and all that we need to live the life he intended. And then he sees us in the Church of God in Manchester doing all we can to follow his will and to commit to it and to fulfil our role in the church. This becomes a fragrant offering to him. Um, that in itself, I think, is a tremendous motivation. It's also an element of confidence that the beginning of that about always leads us in triumphal procession. Sometimes um, serving together in a church of God can be hard work and we struggle with you know, limited blessing and all of that. But the, the ultimate um, result here is one of triumph as is borne out in the, um, the victory that the Lord Jesus has done. Going to our third um, key message. Exemplary standards are expected of God's holy people. This requires a no compromise approach to slipping standards of behavior in our own lives. And it needs to be matched by overseers in the way that they govern the church. Our approach to life should be careful. And you, you get these expressions in verses 10, 11 and 17. Um, wise, diligent and in touch with God's will. You might think, I, I'm stretching this a little bit, there's no reference to church governance or overseers here. But uh, I think there is implicit in what we're reading that this standard required for holiness, and there's a whole of list, whole list of things that we shouldn't be doing and a whole of list, list of things that, that we should be doing. Um, implicit in that is that there is a governance required to make sure these standards are uphold. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person, person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. These are harsh words. And I, I would emphasize that not being partners with, um, with an individual, I don't think means ostracizing them. Um, I think it means having a standard of behavior that makes it very plain that anyone who might be compromising those standards is out of order. And if we do compromise those things, then there is a sense in which we're partnering with them. Um, we were talking last week about the importance of sensitivity to sin. We can be so, come so insensitive to sin, particularly in the world around us, where the standards are so different than from God's standards. Um, we can get immune um, from even noticing that things aren't quite right. And so, coming back to the context of a church of God, um, walking this way requires the upholding of the exemplary standard that is required about our um, moral code of living um, and how that, that needs to be upheld in the governance of a church. It's one of the very clear differences and why, why there needs to be a recognised difference between the Church of God and the Church of the Body. The Church of God, I don't know if I've ever thought about this, but it's a temporary thing. This is something that's not reflected when time is finished. Um, it's about the, 
the church, the body, which is a perfect, eternal thing that comprises um, people who have died, people who are alive today, people who will be added to it in the future. And this is a wonderfully perfect thing that, um, you know, it's our goal as a Church of God in Manchester to somehow emulate that in our local context. And um, it's very clear where it says that these things are um, not appropriate um, or no one will have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, that um, it's not necessarily an uh, unconditional thing, that when these things go on, they have to be dealt with because it compromises the holiness of God's people on earth today. So again, I'm drawing out really a, a very important doctrinal thing about the importance of upholding the holiness of God's people by recognising the standards that are required that Paul lists in Ephesians and pretty much every other epistle too um, and making sure that as disciples first of all and that's all of us um, including the overseers themselves are living in accordance with these standards um, and that as a church of God there is a governance in place that ensures those standards are upheld we need to acknowledge God's grace because um, we could fall into the trap of cultivating some kind of arrogant um, attitude that says we're above these things. But actually we're not. We're all vulnerable. Remember Paul's uh, statement right at the beginning, which I uh, referenced, was, um, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. These are difficult things. We read last week in Romans 7 how Paul himself struggled with doing what he thought, what he knew was right and ending up doing what was wrong. So we're all vulnerable to falling to sin. Um, and that's why this is such a high profile topic um, that we need to be sensitive to it. We need to put off our old self, put on the new and walk this way. And so to our final um, item the solution of all of this is to give the Holy Spirit full access to every part of our lives putting off the old putting on the new and walking this way and he gets a mention in verse 18 do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the Spirit um, being filled with the Spirit perhaps Sometimes we overcomplicate this, you know, and, and maybe it's, it's an aspiration. We think that we'll, we'll never be able to achieve that. For me, I think it's something that we can all experience whatever stage we're at. And I've defined it by saying it's about giving, giving him access to every part of our life. Um, clearly, we've all got different lives and there's different, um, we're at different stages and different com components and things going in our lives. I think we have the Holy Spirit within us. Being filled with him is ensuring that uh, there are no compartments where he's not allowed. Um, it's taking all those barriers down and just opening up our whole life so that he has a influence in every part. Easier said than done. Um, it's interesting that it draws a little illustration about being drunk on wine. <laughs> Um, you know, we unwittingly, if we go in that direction, 
are giving something else control um, and actually what we ought to be doing is giving the spirit that kind of control run out of time I just um, seems to me that, that that's key to this big big subject um, and not really dealt with adequately here but um, God hasn't set these standards and leaving left us to our own devices he has given us the enabler to be able to um, live up to his expectations in terms of our holy living as individuals in terms of our, of realizing our role in a church of God as part of his community um, and working together exercising our gifts and our abilities such that um, as we as we serve God together it's impactful and um, is a, a fragrance uh, a pleasing fragrance to God I said there were some um, sound bites I'm just going to read these I just didn't want us to overlook them because um, again there's a huge amount in them but um, sin is replaced by thankfulness and thanksgiving um, you get that three or four times through the chapter or the half of the chapter that we've read it's kind of um, making emphasizing the importance of thankfulness and two things one is is demonstrating a spirit of thankfulness and the other is giving thanks so it's that verse it talks about giving thanks in every circumstance I said I was only going to read these so I will the others um, there's room for humor you kind of get the impression don't you that um, you know if you if there's no coarse talking and uh, you know everything's dead serious I don't think that's what it's being described here uh, it's about holiness and righteousness but there is absolutely room for for humor um, if you were sitting there you'd go red but I'd say anyway Phil Brennan is a very holy um, person but he's got a fabulous sense of humor and spending three weeks with him on holiday was just a brilliant experience um, and you know it's not about a boring lifestyle we can be guilty of giving that impression it's actually about a fulfilled life that we're talking about Jesus bids us shine came to my mind um, speak to one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs I'd love to know what that means uh, that in itself is a, a whole ministry um, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for everything uh, again another statement that's rich with um, with things we need to understand submit to one another out of reverence for Christ very difficult to understand that as well sometimes where submitting might be conceding uh, which goes against the grain um, 